0: I am Sanjay Parekh, and I am the host of the Business of Meaning podcast, where we showcase businesses that pursue purpose and profit. Today, we're talking with Dr. Nick Taylor, a clinical psychologist that has set up a mental health software company that is making it easier for corporates to look after the mental health of their staff. So, hi, Nick and welcome to the Business of Meaning podcast. It'd be great if you give us an understanding of why you got into clinical psychology and how that led you to start online.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, um, I I think, looking back, the, the thing that probably planted the seed of interest for me was when I was a kid, I grew up, I have three sisters, um, and my middle sister, called Jessica, has Down syndrome. Um, so I grew up with someone in my family who, who saw the world differently um, and, who was seen differently by the world, um, and and when you're growing up, that's a, that's going to have an impact on you. And and for me, it, it made me just very interested in how people feel in the world and the things that impact on their well-being. I guess. Um, so fast forward about twenty years, and I was doing my undergrad degree, which I did in music, um, and I was a volunteer Samaritan, um, and I was writing my my uh, thesis um, at the time, which was looking at the impact of uh, a guy called Gregory Ligeti in Stanley Kubrick's films. Uh, and when you actually dig into film music, um, it's really psychology, a lot of it. Um, so that was the first kind of flavor I had of academic psychology. And, and it really excited me. Um, so I went back to university, did a uh, psychology diploma, which is kind of like an accelerated degree. Um, and to fund that I worked as a support worker for MIND, Um, so in frontline services, um, working in kind of, um, you know, day centers or support worker at night for people living in supported accommodation. And, and again, just really loved that experience. So then went on to do my doctorate in clinical psychology, um, which was another three years. And that was in Sheffield, um, where really started specializing in, um, mental ill health, um, and treatment modalities to help people get better. Um, so I left Sheffield and uh, started working in um, the NHS down in London, uh, a place called SLAM, um, which is a very famous health institute. Um, and whilst I was there, kind of sort of lecturing a little bit at places like UCL and Kings, um, and and getting more and more kind of into the subject of mental health, and, and a job opportunity came up to lead a health team. Will be part of a leadership group leading a health team in in the borough of Kensington and Chelsea and um, I was the lead clinical psychologist which was a really fascinating role for that team um, because it had been through quite a lot of difficulties Um, so we had about I can't remember the exact number around 100 people who were um, you know working in a busy NHS environment so for me what happened was that I started seeing in a, in a in a leadership role the impact of stress anxiety depression etc on the well-being of people started seeing the role of management in looking after the well-being of organizations and the people in them um, and that instilled in me a real fascination with corporate wellness so i started going home at night and reading deloitte reports and Gallup reports about uh kind of corporate wellbeing which is something that doesn't get taught in clinical training um and i guess so that, that, that planted the seed around the kind of workplace wellness stuff. From a clinical perspective, I, I had some frustrations which really grated on me. Um, one was that in, in all the years of working as a therapist, um, I don't think I can think of an example where uh, I sat down with the person for the first session of therapy and thought, yes, I've met you at just the right point. What actually happened almost every time was that I would think to myself, if only I'd met you six months before. If only I've only met you a year before, and the, and the reason I say that is that it, 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 people don't get to treatment for mental health, mental ill health, at the right time, um, and that makes it much harder to help people get better, the better often. Um, and you know, if you think about if you were to break your leg, and you know, I asked you what's going to be the easier leg to fix, the one that's fixed straight away or the one that's fixed six months later, you'd obviously tell me the one that's fixed straight away. And whilst it's a bit of a crass uh, comparison there is some truth in it with mental ill health the sooner you can get to a problem the better really so that's very frustrating clinically because you're thinking all the time I'm, I'm i'm at a disadvantage straight off because i haven't started working with you at the right time um and it's more frustrating of course for the person who's who's living that experience um and i think that happens for a myriad of reasons um lack of resource um confusion about where to turn high level of stigma um but also quite low mental literacy, generally speaking, in society. And what I mean by that is that um, I think, by and large, most people I meet don't really understand the paradigm around mental ill health, how it's defined, what it is, spotting signs in themselves, knowing things to do, which leads me onto to the second frustration, which is that a lot of the time, the things that you say to someone when you're a clinician, from a psychological perspective, they're quite straightforward. It's not rocket science, it's really not rocket science. It's not, you know, it's not a subject that is very complex to understand. And, and therefore the frustration is, why should somebody have to jump through so many hoops in order to get to information that, should, that can help them? You know, why should somebody have to go to their GP in order to get a referral to a psychologist? When, when actually at the touch of a button, the information that would be helpful to them could be delivered, you know, so so, so, um, that was the second frustration. And the third one is that mental health is mispositioned, misrepresented um, massively. I think if you go into the street and and you say, uh, oh, I'll give you an example. I'd say probably on a weekly basis, someone says, what do you do? And I'll say, I'm a psychologist. And they'll say, um, oh, I know someone with mental health as though mental health is something that only appears when you have a problem. Mm. But actually mental health is something we have from the moment we're born to the moment we die. Um, it's with us our entire life and it's and, and it's with everyone around us for their entire lives. Um, and it comes from our brain and it's our ability to think, it's our ability to problem solve, it's our ability to form relationships, be creative to dream, and to feel the amazing range of emotions that we all have. Um, I think in, in my opinion, it's like the number one best thing about being a human being. So I find it absolutely astonishing that um, it's positioned always in this very negative light when actually it's really the most incredible thing about being a human being. You know, it, this is relevant for two reasons. One, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an injustice in it um, because it's misrepresenting a subject that should be cherished rather than uh, stigmatized. But two, by having this place where we're always talking about mental health in relation to problems, where we're always uh, representing mental health by images of the black and white of people holding their head in their hands, we're making it really scary. Um, You know, I was a student for, I can't remember, something like nine years. Um, By the end of that time, I I had disastrous financial situation, as you might imagine. Um, I never checked my bank balance um, because it's scary. Mm -hmm. um now i've got not a lot i've got a little bit of money i will check my bank balance but that says a lot about human behavior if things scare us we avoid them if we don't understand something we avoid it because it's because it's just how we're wired we have a situation where mental health is not understood by people and the narrative that we're constantly leading with is really scary Mm -hmm. so even like with the best intentions trying to break the stigma by saying we all need to learn about stress anxiety and depression it's pretty scary thing to say as opposed to saying by the way you have mental health, it's the best thing about being a human being and you should nurture that. If you're looking after your teeth by brushing them twice a day, you should probably make the same amount of time to look after your mental health because your brain is your best asset. you know it's about the positioning that's so frustrating. So I left the NHS at two and a half two and a quarter years ago now um, and um, set out to, 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 to build our minds which I guess was built on those experiences.
0: Right. So that's really, really interesting. Uh, So many questions. So um, in terms of online, then you picked a particular uh, part of the mental health world to to address. Why did you pick corporates then, given that you could have picked individuals or, uh, you know, the general public um, in terms of how you would approach a business to address these issues that you saw?
1: I guess um, there's, there's probably a couple of reasons for that. Um, one is that on a personal level, it was the uh, it, the problem that I'd been facing in my professional life was um, being part of an organization where the impact of mental ill health was really pronounced and, and apparent um, and therefore wanting to somehow uh, help be uh, address that. The second is that it's an enormous problem for organizations you know the the impact of mental ill health on organizations is ginormous so it's a problem that needs addressing and it's and and, it, and and the pressure on organizations to um be responsible for addressing and looking after their employees mental health is, is increasing by the day um so it's something that needs fixing it's a big problem it's an obvious place to, to pay the attention to um and then also just from a founding team i'm one of uh, four co-founders of online um it's an area that we've got expertise and experience in and understand well um so i it's obviously me with my clinical background there's a guy called steve peralta who's our chief content officer and steve works with uh, top professors and academics and clinicians around the world in developing the content that we put onto our platform um you know learning development programs tools and exercises people can do uh, his background's all in corporate wellness so he's run a lot of live workshops with some of the biggest organizations in the world. Our CTO is Nick Tong. Um, he's a lifelong engineer, built um, tech platforms for lots of organizations over time. He's a brilliantly talented guy who you can have a long conversation about what we're building without him mentioning anything at all techie, but he goes away and has an entire tech framework in his mind, um, which is fantastic for a clinical psychologist to have that kind of tech conversation. That's about my level. Um, and And then rye morgan who is um the kind of true kind of entrepreneur in the team i guess in some ways in that he graduated from university built his first tech startup called please cycle um which was a digital platform that aimed to reduce sedentary behavior in the workplace so in other words get people moving more um it became a company called yomp Uh, yomp was acquired by reward gateway and rye became the head of digital wellness there so rye's expertise is absolutely in corporate HR, benefits, wellness, et cetera. Um, So the four of us together were a really strong team to address the problem and the issue around mental ill health in the workplace.
0: So you talked a little bit about um, mental literacy and the problems with stigmatization of of the subject matter. How how do you address that in a corporate environment? Uh, I think, especially when I think about corporates, there's a big fear that if you show weakness and you expose your problems, um, that that potentially could be used to you know, mark you down in your in your career at some point. Um, now maybe that's just how I see things, but that I would guess that that would be quite a big concern for some employees if they did come clean about certain feelings and issues that they were having. How would that information then be used and how would the corporate look to uh convince that the employee that they you know that this is a positive thing that they're doing
1: no i, th- I think you're absolutely right and, and i think your observation and kind of perception of it is in line with how a lot of people feel around it there, there was um, a stat a while ago which said nine out of ten employees don't want to tell their employer about their mental health mm. um and i think what what that leads to is uh the problems that i was outlining um it means that people don't turn to, the, to, to get the right care at the right time often um, because they don't know who to talk to, they don't know where to turn. Um, but I, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things. I think historically, the traditional approach to mental health has been you wait until there's a problem and then you seek a solution. You know, that's kind of the reactive healthcare model. Right. Then what started happening was that people said, well, actually early intervention is the most effective uh, form of treatment um so it's about oh, how do we get these reactive services to people as early as possible um but what where we're now at is this kind of belief that actually prevention is better than cure um and you can see that in government papers you can see that in uh, health trends across the world um and and actually this is not um a kind of paradigm shift in health care per se this is um a coming of age and and uh, a forming a parity with other health models um you know if, if you look back at the history of dental health care it was it was kind of post world war one when things really kicked into gear in terms of preventative health care and dental health um it, it was uh, the, the the kind of 70s 60s 70s 80s when the the physical preventative health movement really started blossoming um and i think that's where we are now with mental health and the reason this is relevant is that In the corporate environment in the organization environment the narrative is changing away from um, people saying when you have a problem you need to go and get a solution to saying you have this all of the time so regardless of whether or not you have any problems just keep an eye on it look out for how you can support your mental health better and learn how you can support other people better as well Um, so it really is that kind of shift in the way you position the subject because if you move mental health away from problem weakness scary kind of negative narrative stuff where it's traditionally been towards more like it's your most amazing asset really do look after it because we need you to look after it because our organization will flourish and you need to look after it because by doing so you'll be happier um that's a much more positive aspirational and engaging message and 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 kind of avoids the stigma now the the, the crucial thing is that um by creating this more positive framework, it's not ignoring the scale of the problem and it's not um, just kind of like sweeping it under the carpet. It's actually integral to fixing the the, the problem that we're, we're facing. Because by getting people to engage in preventative healthcare, what will happen is that they'll spot problems much earlier and they'll spot problems in themselves and others and they'll be able to therefore help themselves and others get to early intervention services better. And then to reactive services better. So you actually, by by focusing on the more preventative stuff, you actually fix the the problems about how do you get people to early intervention, how do you get people to reactive to healthcare at the right time. Um, and the important thing for us as a digital provider is not to create a kind of desert island um, in what we're creating. You know, gold standard healthcare talks to itself. And what I mean by that is. If you went to your doctor and you said "Oh, doctor i've got a terrible back and, and he, the doctor said um i'm so sorry um I, i'm a i'm a medic i can't help you with that that would be an appalling experience healthcare experience what you rely on is the doctor saying um sorry to hear you have a bad back let me make a referral to a physiotherapist for example now the same applies to digital preventative healthcare um we can't say oh well we don't you're depressed we can't deal with that the important thing for us is to be able to either provide the right level of care on our platform or signpost people to the right level of care because there is partly because of the stigma and the um just the way the subject's been positioned historically there is a a metaphorical fog that sits around mental health services meaning that people don't really know where to turn um and that also kind of compounds the problem around getting the right care at the right time um so by um, signposting to the right care, you're joining up the healthcare system. You're providing that kind of gold standard, evidence kind of based model of you know triaging effectively, um, and and crucially, again, you're helping fix the problem. Um,
0: right. So, in terms of a business, I, I know having run businesses myself, um, you're always looking to assess the impact of any initiative that you put in place. Um how, how do you demonstrate to the CEOs out there that you are delivering a return? I mean, it's, it must be difficult to quantify uh, the impact of implementing a solution like online.
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's a, uh, an, a, a really, really complicated thing to do. Um, and um, I think it's, you do it well by starting by being honest. Um, and explaining that it is a complicated thing to evidence effectiveness. Um, And that's true of all psychological healthcare. Um, But I think what's important, and this is one of the things that our mind is really focused on, is ensuring that there's a lot of measurement on the platform. Um, So we developed an in-house assessment tool called the Unmind Index that um, allows people to track them onto their mental health in a way that, um, you answer a series of questions that gives you some scores and you understand where you are on the spectrum and health and your sleep and your stress and your anxiety but we frame them in more positive language we talk about um, happiness coping and calmness as opposed to stress anxiety and depression um, and um, what that allows us to see is trends across populations of how well people are Um, And then we can then also measure the impact of individual content that people complete on the platform because before and after they complete it, we ask them a series of questions. So there's a lot of measurement on the platform um, and that allows us to truly understand the impact of what we provide, but also the overall aggregated anonymized data set gives insight into how well the organization is. Um, So we look at that very carefully and we understand that in collaboration with the companies we work with. Crucially, I would say that um, the individual user's privacy is our number one priority and we would never ever share anything that jeopardized that that anonymity of a user. Um so only ever on aggregated anonymized data sets. Um but also we look at qualitative feedback as well, um, which we get bucket loads of. Um it's been really interesting actually. Um a little while ago, a couple of weeks back now, I I woke up in the morning and um I checked my LinkedIn and and had a message from someone in New York saying in the 10 years they'd been at their company, it was the top three things um, that had ever happened. I then went to bed that same night and received a message from someone in Japan um, saying that it just helped them with their mental health so much. Um, And we get a lot of feedback like that. So the combination of looking at the data and what we can evidence and show in terms of effectiveness but also in terms of insight into the organization combined with that quality of data combined with the fact that on a kind of more societal level there's a huge focus point on this subject so CEOs and they know they need to do something and they know what they've done before hasn't worked because otherwise if it had we wouldn't be where we are today so there's an intuitive understanding added to the stuff that we provide that that seems to be very appealing to to business leaders
0: right so um actually you said something there. i thought was uh really interesting around um societal knowledge and interest do do you think that the reason why there is much more interest in mental health is uh down to uh, environmental reasons so what i mean by that is that there is a shift in society that's caused more mental pain or do you think that it's more that historically it's just been a neglected part of our knowledge and our health care and now as we get to know more and we get to push it forward um we start to treat it differently a bit like you said the the analogy of the the, the historically how we treated our teeth changed uh, as the knowledge changed um is it now that mental health is changing because there are a bunch of factors uh, in the environment, whether that's technology change, whether that's political change, or, or another other factors.
1: Um, it's really interesting um, because, uh, as I said, we've, we've got a bot on our on our platform um, which answers common questions about mental health and guides people through content. But um, we we when we were thinking about what to call it, we we called it Zeno um, after the Stoic philosopher um, who was in many ways the kind of one of the founding thinkers around well-being and how do you stay well um and the reason i mention that is that it's quite interesting look looking historically across time um about trends in mental health and and, and we we have had times as a, as, as a species where we've been very enlightened around it and especially if you look at the ancient greeks in some ways they were incredibly enlightened around it um, so i think in a way mental health is kind of emerging out of the dark ages um, uh, which I think is 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 really great to see that trend. There's also, I think, just greater understanding. Now the scientific model has been applied to it and the scientific paradigm has been researching it. I think that's helped um, better cement our understanding around it. Um, but I do think also that there are societal trends which... Potentially, can have a negative impact, and I'm a little bit cautious about this because I think it's quite easy to um, be a little bit lazy around it. Um, you know, I think um, a common question that's asked rightly, but needs to be answered with caution, is around does technology cause mental ill health? You know, is our addiction to screens the cause of this rise in mental health? Um, I, th- I certainly think it's interesting to look at the 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 decline in sleep hygiene. Um, and the rise of technology and wonder about the relationship there um, and, and poor sleep is a, is a uh, pretty common feature of poor mental health. Um, so I think, yes, arguably the, the modern world provides this highly stimulating 24-7 culture, increasingly city focused, taken away from nature um, you know that 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 is all worth considering in relation to mental health and and also especially given the kind of economic recent history, um, I think a lot of people have struggled financially and um, poor finance is known to be a major contributor towards poor mental health. The gold, gold standard understanding about mental health is called biopsychosocial. So in other words, you understand what is the biology of that human being? What is their physical health at that time? What's their genetic history and makeup? Um, you understand um, what is the psychological understanding that person brings to the world? You know What are the core experiences that person's had in their life that inform how they perceive the world? And then you look at societal factors like what's their job? Um, do they enjoy their job environment? Do, what's their home life? Do they have space? What's their financial? situation so you look at this bio psycho social um model that's unique to each of us to understand somebody's well-being at any given point if you do a deep dive on someone um, and obviously if you, if you start thinking about that and mental health relation to that you would as part of the kind of social aspect there look at kind of health trends in that person you know are they eating uh, you know are they are they uh very financially pressured are they uh, removed from nature are they working really crazy hours and then you look at the kind of um you know the, the biological stuff is the person eating lots of sugar not enough vegetables they're not exercising you know so a lot of those are monday health trends aren't they uh, or lifestyle trends so i think there is an impact and then also i think it's interesting to look at generationally um what are the expectations that we bring as the gener- each generation brings into the workplace when they get to that age what are their perceptions about what life needs to provide to them um what are their perceptions around how they're going to find value and meaning and what they do um and and all of those things i think impact on mental health as well Um, so this there's a whole host of stuff you could throw into the bucket to understand
0: it It sounds very complicated to understand but uh, i guess for me i would think that the pace of change these days seems to be quickening. And certainly I think, I guess it depends on stage of life you're at. Um, but that can be quite, uh, can impact mental health quite, quite significantly, especially if you're used to operating a certain way. And then I'm thinking of the workplace. Um, and then 18 months later, there's a whole load of new systems, technologies, and it's and it's completely different. Uh, and, you know, you may not have, transitioned as quickly with uh with with that technology that, that's that's in place I've certainly seen yeah. a huge amount of change uh, in, in in my career um yeah uh, i
1: think i think i think that's a really interesting point and, uh, you know also if you think about um what what that cha- what that techno- technological change has enabled it's enabled us to communicate globally much more effectively which means that if you work in a global organization you, in your emails are never going to stop you know, we all know that feeling where you wake up in the morning, and you turn your phone on, it's like, oh my goodness, I thought I cleared my emails at midnight last night, and I've now got four million emails in my inbox, you know, from around the world. Um, so I think that's pretty stressful, isn't it, for people? Mm. Um, but then it doesn't need to, not everyone feel, finds that stressful. So I think it's important to, to recognize the individual variants and in, in how we relate to these changes.
0: Yep. Okay. So, uh, swinging it back to, to, to unmind a bit. So, how uh, when you founded the company, how did you approach the the values and mission uh, of the organization? It, a bit I, I
1: mean, I, I think it's um, it's been a massive learning journey for me on Mind because obviously my background's in, I spent most of my 20s studying and, and then ended up working in the NHS and you know, worked in charities prior to that. So the kind of tech startup world was, was a mystery to me and um, uh, obviously a very exciting mystery, but it was a mystery. So I didn't have any of the... Sophisticated kind of understanding that comes of reading all these kind of startup type books or hanging out at Google campus or whatever. I didn't have any of that foundation for me from the very offset. um, I had a very simple kind of values um, narrative in my head, which is a bit crass. Apologies, but it was simply just don't be a dick. Um, That was kind of like that was how I thought about it in the very very early days. Um, uh, But I guess the, the important point. Around that is um, well, that that was one thing. The other thing that I I had as a kind of little thing, and I've subsequently gone on to read this elsewhere. Um, so I know it's not original, but I had this idea with with everyone that joined the team. You know, I always ask the question: Could I sit next to this person on a long haul flight? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that kind of real kind of desire to to be a nice place to be, to be a good kind of nurturing, kind environment uh, of people that were fascinating and wonderful to be around, um, who you could really respect and now we've done a lot of work as as the team has grown with our 30 people um and 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 hiring um pretty pretty fast but we we've obviously brought lots of people in who have much more sophisticated understandings around the importance of defining culture than i ever had and and we've done a lot of work around that and we will continue to a lot of do a lot of work around that and the important thing i think looking back in hindsight was that we started thinking about it from a very very early stage um and and so it's very much embedded in our culture you know uh the values piece is very important to us and we 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 always
0: make time to consider it so you said you're growing rapidly how do you maintain the culture because i think it's easy at the beginning to set it off on a path but as you as you grow i think what's certainly one of the challenges is and again i found that personally as you as you grow a business maintaining that culture and, and making sure the new recruits um not only buy into the existing culture, but contribute and add and enhance that culture.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think there's interesting things around that actually. And recently for us, it's, it's become a bit more, it's just changed as, as you know, um, things don't stay the same for very long in startups. And I think we had in the earlier days, um, an ability to continually um, spend enough time with every new person to, to build culture on a one-to-one basis. I think what's starting to happen is we're getting a bit bigger as we realize that actually um, the face-to-face time gets less in a way because we're getting bigger and therefore um, we spend less time with, um, with with each person. And therefore it's about how do we actually um, cement the cultural values um, in a way that when someone joins, they can immediately understand what they are. Um, when somebody, even if they haven't joined unmined. mind, goes to the website, how can I pick that up? Um so it's about how does it permeate across everything and how does it get cemented. So little things like we did a an exercise from the amazing organization called Multiple recently, um, looking at like vision, mission, purpose and also looking at the values that we have. Yeah. Um, and we managed to um to come up with with five values that, that feel really important and, and define how online thinks about um uh how we want to be as an organization those values will um, be worked on as a team and will be put up in the office and we'll be in the starter handbook when you join and we'll be just really lived and and become a a part of the organization on a daily basis
0: okay that sounds great and like you say it's it's a thing you've got to constantly work on um yeah i
1: think that's the key thing is it never stops us and also we'll always be learning and we'll make loads of mistakes i'm sure and i think the other thing is about making sure that each it's not it's not it's not a kind of it's never a done job and as the company evolves and as people join um, and have fresh ideas and new ideas you know I hate to think that on anything we ever do we're like oh no so we fixed that we've done that already I like to think that each person who comes in can say do you know what I've been thinking looking at that I'm not sure it works or we should try it differently I like to think that we'll always remain open and curious
0: so one thing I noticed when I was doing my research on on mind and Nick, was that you seem to have done a really good job of managing um, gender diversity in, in the company. Uh, it would be great if you could give us an insight on how... Did, was, that, was that a proactive thing or, or did that just happen um, because you were in the marketplace and it just, just unfolded like that?
1: Uh, I, I think in a way it probably this is probably a less usual thing to be able to say, um, as a, as a man, but I, I've spent most of my life surrounded by women, I would say. Um, so I, uh, I have three sisters and I have four sister-in-laws. So my, uh, my kids have got a lot of aunts. Um, I studied music, which is, uh, got a lot of women studying music at university. I think the the, the gender balance is, is weighted towards women. So psychology, gender balance is weighted towards women. Um, and in the world of clinical psychology now, we did, um, this hasn't historically always been the case, but there are many women working in clinical psychology. On my course, I think there were 20 people and there were three guys, um, and that's pretty standard. Um, so for me, actually, I found it strange going into, um, it, going into the kind of tech startup world and, and suddenly not being um, in a minority from a gender point of view. Um, so I was conscious of them from the offset um, and I think that it's always been very, very important to us to, to, to work hard to ensure gender balance. And I, I think that it is crucial um, to um, creating a thriving, brilliant, enjoyable workplace to, to focus on that and to have that. And I'm super proud of the balance that we have. Um, but more broadly on diversity, I think it's crucial to think about it from the very offset um, as a business and think about how can you create an environment that attracts people from all backgrounds um, because if you can create that environment and we haven't got it perfect and we'll always have to you think about this more but if you can do that then you've got the opportunity to bring in so many perspectives that will ultimately help you and 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 create a, a great place to work
0: yeah couldn't, couldn't agree more with you um, and it's great to see in practice i know the tech world talks a lot about diversity and gender diversity and um so it's great to see companies living it and, and actually delivering on that on that promise uh, so um one thing I, that's pretty close to my heart is is the startup world um having started two technology businesses in in the past um it'd be great to hear your thoughts on the mental health issues with startups uh, and particularly anything that you've either seen directly in, in your own organization or or when you've been around the startup world um what you what you've seen and experienced there
1: i think um you know it's it's, it's a funny one I, with with startup stuff because um you know uh what it feels like when you when you meet someone who's been to a country you've been to um and it's like ah, oh, you went to i know ah oh, you went to mexico wow isn't it amazing you know that you know that immediate kind of um shared experience that you have that only yeah. you two people in that conversation know what mexico is like because you've both been there um i think the startup was a little bit like that um and you know it, it's kind of like oh, you work so you know it and and i guess often it's it is a it's it's the knowing of that uniqueness and that um The the buzz, the excitement, the risk, the the fast paced life and um, the 24-7 aspect of it um, and the obsession you have to have to to make anything come and and the kind of the way you you look at your everyone asks you about it and then you look back in their eyes and you know that you're just being a bore because it's all you ever talk about Um, (laughs) and you know that all of that stuff and um, that's all the really sexy positive stuff and I love all of that it's also a hell of a lot of pressure, a hell of a lot of risk, a lot of um, anxiety. And you know, like personally speaking, when I started mind with, with the other guys, it was, um, I had my second kid on the way. Um, so there's a lot of financial risk to to take. Um, and I had some really stressful periods, especially the first, I'd say the first six months was the most stressful part of mind for me because it was a massive paradigm shift in what I was doing. Um, So I think it is an environment that is exhilarating and wonderful, but also an environment that has so many risk factors associated with it um, around mental ill health. So it's really important just to be wary. And I know a lot of VCs are now thinking about how can they support their portfolio um, companies to manage their mental health because they see the risk. They, they, you know, they they realize that that it can go so wrong so quickly. Um, So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a space that, it's a it's a subject within the space that needs a lot of attention and thought about. Um, yeah. But by its very nature, it's an environment that increases the risk of problems. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think one of one of the dangers of the last few years has been the the glamorization of the startup world. It's it's there's been so much written about um, you know companies raising millions, uh, and then you read about companies selling for hundreds of millions. And I think especially for people that haven't been around the tech world that long, they can read that, assume that actually this is a path to riches and relatively easy riches in, it in a short period of time. And when the, when the rubber hits the road and they see that actually it's it's harder than you can ever possibly imagine and lots of things go wrong that just nobody predicts even people that are super experienced um and dealing with situations like that when you go in that what i call an expectation gap or a perception gap i think that's when lots of problems can happen and i think that's it's i i would appreciate a lot more honesty which i know is starting to happen about how tough it is and how actually lots of things don't work out and lots of things cannot work out Because it's nothing to do with you. Just just things just don't work out when you do high risk um uh um high risk projects.
1: I I completely agree. And and I almost I I think it um I find the conflict that you end up putting yourself in quite difficult as well to manage. And what I mean by that is around fundraise, you know, if you your job as the one of your jobs as a founder is to tell the world how you you know how amazing what you're doing is and, and how you're going to change it and, and the, the enormous opportunity and the, the scalability and the you know the financial reward and all of that stuff which is so important and true and and, and, and crucial but what happens is you go into your meetings and your are fundraising and you, you you tell these incredible stories and then you come out feeling kind of almost completely crushed um you know and, uh, and and that's a massive like pendulum swing you have to go mm-hmm. through almost on a daily basis um and then you know because because your job is to tell the world how well it's going then what happens is your social network starts hearing oh wow it's going so well and and then you go to events and people say to you oh, it's going really well and, and then you know it's just your own echo chamber yeah you know so it's a very strange thing you're, you're constantly trying to which is your job, and is absolutely imperative and genuine. Your job is to tell, is to promote what you're doing, and to, no one else is going to do that. Got um, this kind of very shiny veneer of the surface that you've got to show the world. So I think internally it causes a lot of conflict and angst and anxiety. Um, and I'd love there to be a more honest narrative around that. And I think there is, and I think there's some amazing people speaking about it and thinking about it. And I think some some funds are really enlightened around it as well. And, and but I, I, I would love to see um, that trend of like honesty collaboration um kind of a recognition and shared journey that all that stuff really promoted moving forward in the world of startup
0: great stuff so in terms of uh, meaning in your business um how, how how do you improve meaning in the business and how do you make sure that your business has that purpose and meaning going forward
1: I think um, one of the advantages we have as a business is that it is really purpose-led and I think that helps us attract great talent. I think it helps motivate people. I fundamentally were giving people the tools to look after mental health, better. that's, that's, that's a really good thing to get out of bed for. You know, our company vision is is a world where mental health is universally understood, nurtured and celebrated. Um, That's really cool to be able to get out of bed in a cold morning, go to an office and sit around and work on that. That's inspiring and it's motivating. So as a business, fundamentally we're very driven by um, a positive mission. So for us, it's crucial. Yep.
0: Great. So, so what's next for a mind? I think?
1: Um, 19. I, I've never been more excited, really. It's going to be, um, it's going to be our best year to date. We're, we're in the closing stages of a fundraise. Um, we are, um, growing really fast. you know. We've had four new joiners already this year. Um, we've already closed some deals this year, which is super exciting. Um, we've got an, a pipeline, a very enviable pipeline of, of companies because I think of the trend and the, the excitement around the opportunity to finally do something about like mental health. You know, the appetite's enormous. Um, so for us, it's about um, staying laser focused, but um, working towards becoming the de facto category leader in preventative workplace mental health.
0: Right. Uh sounds really exciting and, and sounds like you've got, you've got a good plan for, for the rest of the year. Um so again, what uh what advice would you give business owners that are looking to add more meaning to their business um and looking to uh you know to just give a little bit more purpose to to what they're doing?
1: I don't know, I'm quite wary of advice. Um you know what it's like when uh <laughs> advice is always strange to hear i'm i'm I've, I've probably been more inclined to listen to what they're doing uh, and yeah. to try and understand on a unique basis um i certainly think having a real sense of purpose about what you do is really helpful um if you can find a way of bringing that to life in your business i think the benefits are just huge but i think it's probably on a case-by-case basis it's a bit of a compound answer isn't it uh,
0: that, that, that's fair enough I, mean, I think the thing with advice is it's, it's it's gotta be relevant to that person. So yeah, I, I agree. Sometimes it's hard to give general general advice, but uh, no, no, I, I, I take on board what you're saying. Um, great. Well, thanks very much, Nick. Thanks for sharing your story and, and telling us all about UnMind and and the great work that you're doing. Um, and thank you for showing us all how you conduct business with meaning. Cool. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely talking. Great. Thanks, Nick. Cheers. Thanks again, Nick. That was a great interview and a real insight into our mind and the importance of looking after your mental health in the workplace. Now, for our listeners, we'd really appreciate it if you could share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. And if you love what you're hearing, it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you've got any direct feedback, we'd love to hear from you, either via Twitter at bofmeaning or via email at sanjay at thebusinessofmeaning.com. Well, thanks for listening and we'll see you all on the next episode.